Last week, we had focused on another one of Jesus' I Am statements. We've been in a series called the I Am, discovering Jesus and how he helps us understand who God is through these incredible statements through John's gospel. And uh, last week, we looked at the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we looked at that last week and understood, at least in part, that when Jesus says he is the way, he is the way to God. He is the way to the Father's presence and to the Father's purpose and a future restoration that God promises us uh, in his plans and purpose that are ours in Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm the way. And, and as you come to know me, you will know the way, and you will find the way to God and his presence and purpose. But this theme, the way, and I want to kind of jump, uh, kind of springboard from last week's theme and idea, or particularly that word, the way, because when we use the word the way, even early Christians were called people of the way, of the way of Christ. And their life, their actions also were qualitatively different in such a way that people were able to say they live a different way of life. And that's because when Jesus said he was the way, ultimately he is the way to the Father. But there's something else that's going on here that we see throughout the gospel texts and as the early church lives this out, that there was a way to the way Jesus lived. His life, his character, his posture, his decisions I mean, he, his way was very much what made it possible for him to be the way to God. And God didn't just come in the same way that other solutions or hope were given in a world. He came through his son. He got down and dirty with our world. Jesus took on human flesh. There was a certain way that God fulfilled his purposes and this week, Holy Week, the way of Jesus is on display. Every day as we lead up from today till Good Friday till Holy Saturday and next week, Easter Sunday, I want us to pay attention to this. I encourage you to be in the Gospels this week, maybe through our readings and our Lent readings in John or other passages that take you through this significant week of Jesus' life because the way of Jesus is on display this week. And, and if you stop and pause and pay attention and, and lean in to uh, not just what Jesus did, but his way, his posture, you will notice something beautiful here. And his way, I want to say this today, forms our way, forms our life, forms our posture, forms our ambition. When I say that Jesus is the way, I don't only claim some beautiful promise for God's future for me, but I submit and surrender to the way of Jesus and allow him to form the way I live my life. And today, Palm Sunday, as we kick this week off, is really a moment <clears throat> that is so beautiful and unique in Jesus' life. I want us just to take some time and just, just back, back, take a step back for a second and think about this, this scene we're going to look at in John's gospel. Jesus enters Jerusalem, okay, with a, with a reception that shifts the way people understand him. If you just read a couple of verses or section earlier, you will notice that Jesus raises Lazarus, a dear friend of his, from the dead, and when Jesus does this, man, it sparks a lot of attention, and it sparks a lot of uh, people turning to believe in Jesus. 
But it also adds to the desire of a group of people to get rid of Jesus. The people, the religious leaders, the authorities that are plotting to get rid of Jesus. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, well, their, atten- their antennas go up and they're like, how else, how can we get this guy? There's too much attention. And uh, as, as Passover is happening now uh, in this season for the Jews, Jerusalem is filled with people ready to celebrate God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. What they don't realize is that in a matter of days, through God's incredible act on the cross and then through the resurrection, God rescues all of humanity from sin and slavery. I want to read John 12, um, verses 12 to to 17, just a few verses. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to it, or you can read off off the comment section with us. The next day, this is after what happened with Lazarus and other things that were going on. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And they they shouted this out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Heavenly Father, as we read these words, grab attention of our hearts. Help this day, this reading, this moment, just launch us into Holy Week with such intentionality, God. In your name we pray. Amen. I I like to say Palm Sunday is a paradox Sunday. That Palm Sunday is a paradox. Because if if you look at this scene that, that Palm Sunday celebrates, people are looking to Jesus to be their heroic king. And yet Jesus enters Jerusalem with symbolic humility. They're looking for a heroic king, and yet Jesus enters Jerusalem with symbolic humility. I wonder if that's, if you've ever come across that meeting a person or in a situation where you've known you've been in the presence of someone that is, is incredibly smart or attentive or capable, and yet you sense just a beautiful humility. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, we, we had a 20th anniversary trip that we took, and we found ourselves in Amsterdam for a couple of days to start this trip. And I've shared this story with some Westsiders before, so maybe you're aware, but I remember being in the lobby of the hotel, and uh, there was this tall African-American man that was talking to the, to the, um, uh, the person at the front desk, and they were, he was getting some music um, papers, and that, that kind of piqued my curiosity. And um, the next morning, uh, as we were having breakfast, he was sitting down by himself, and because of my music background, I'm going to go ask him what he's up to and what he's doing. And so I met this individual. His name was Dennis Mackerel. This guy played drums for the Count Basie Orchestra and eventually became the band leader for the Count Basie Orchestra. And he was in Amsterdam leading a fabulous orchestra from the U.S. on a tour. I didn't know who he was at first. He didn't give off any impressions. 
It's after he told me his name that I Googled him and I found out exactly who he was and exactly how capable he was and exactly the kind of person that a lot of people would like to know in the music world, especially jazz and classical and orchestras. And, and here's, here's what struck me about this guy, Dennis. He, he was the most gentle conversation. He had the most modest demeanor about him. When I went to say hi to him and we introduced each other, he was sitting down and I was standing up. He gets up from his seat and he, he, he gets up and he just pays attention to me and shakes my hand. And at first I didn't see nothing of it. And then I thought, okay, now that I figure out who Dennis Mackerel is, he's like music royalty. He's like a creative genius. He's like, it was just crazy. And I thought, what a paradox. What humility, what a modest demeanor, how gently he spoke with me, how respectfully he stood up to speak to me. And I thought that was a paradox. And, and when we look at Jesus, this scene of Jesus, this scene points us to the paradox way of Christ. Think about this. He's on his way to Jerusalem or he's arriving to Jerusalem the crowds are ready to crown him. They are ecstatic. He just raises Lazarus from the dead. Potentially, you know, he could be coming to be the king, the hero that they're looking for. But the main reason he's on his way to Jerusalem is because he's on his way to the cross. Because that's the way of Christ. He's coming to Jerusalem to receive a crown of thorns. His location is the temple, but one of his next stops will be a tomb. Think of the symbolism in, palm, in that palm moment where the branches are laid down. Psalms 118 verse 27 talks about a procession for a king. It's, it's known now as a messianic psalm that was looking forward to God's Messiah, God's Christ, that would come with messianic hope and bring something hopeful for the Jews and all of humanity. I mean, they were just kind of waiting for that. And yet... There's something closer in the memory of the Jews at the time and the crowds at the time. About 170 or 80 years prior to that, in 164 BC, someone by the name of Judas Maccabees came when there was a time when there was invaders invading Jerusalem, invading the temple. And Judas Maccabees came with an army of people and he defeated the invaders. And he cleansed the temple. And when this happened, the people began to wave branches in honor of the victory. And so you could imagine right here in this moment, think of these two things. Psalms 118 in the background of Messianic hope. Judas Maccabees, who was a hero, and thinking of this story, and again, these palms being laid and waving a victory to him 180 years prior. There's this hope here that Jesus might be the one to come off and finish Israel's oppressors and save Israel and do what God wants to do in the world. And so that phrase, Hosanna, means God saves or save us. See, Jesus might be the one who is coming, that Jesus would be the one who is coming in the name of the Lord, right? That's what they're hoping for when they say Hosanna. They're looking 
and wanting to crown a king, God's king that will save them. But I want you to notice something that's so distinct here. What's Jesus riding on when he comes into Jerusalem? What's he doing? He's riding on a young donkey. For the kids out there, if you can imagine Shrek's voice, or not just kids, teenagers who watch Shrek or all of us, how he would say, donkey, but uh, I want you to think about a young little donkey, a donkey's colt. This, the gospel writers look back to Zechariah 9.9, one of the prophets that wrote, a king riding on a donkey's colt would be a savior. Mark emphasized this in his gospel, the unique humility of Jesus, this image of Jesus coming on a young donkey, not a strong animal. And so think about the difference here. A horse versus a colt. I mean, Judas Maccabees came into probably Jerusalem 180 years earlier on a horse. Jesus comes on a colt, a young donkey. What a paradox. Only Jesus. Only Jesus, right? Jesus didn't have to prove anything. Jesus didn't have to make a lot of noise. Jesus didn't have to make a spectacle or a splash because his way was different. And his destination was not the Roman Senate, but a hill called Golgotha. Judas Maccabees comes in with horses and an army, and Jesus trots into Jerusalem, yes, with palms because of the expectation, but he's coming on a young donkey with his modest, ordinary followers. No army. What a paradox. What a paradox. And it's this, and here's one big idea today I want you to understand and I want us to grasp today as we enter into Holy Week. The way of Christ fulfills the way of the Lord. It's not the way of the world. It's not the way of power. It's not the way of selfish ambition. It's not the way of violence. The way of Christ fulfills the way of the Lord. And the way to fulfill God's purpose was to walk the way that Christ walked. The solution wasn't to topple the world's power with violence, but to die under its rule and take sin upon himself. And what we notice in the posture and way of Jesus was this humble confidence, was this humble king. And and I think that's why the disciples are maybe confused. His disciples didn't understand all of this and how this would all come about. And John tells us that only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And just pause for a second. It says only after Jesus was glorified. And I know immediately we think glorify is like when he resurrected from the dead and when he ascended into heaven. And that's part of Jesus' glorification. But I want you to see a theme in John's gospel, at least, and in the gospels, what John uses to describe Jesus' death on the cross. Four times John uses the word lifted up to describe what will happen to Jesus when he goes to the cross. One will happen a few verses down in, John's, in John chapter 12, verse 32, and it says, when the, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then he will draw all people to himself. When we read that word, right, when the Son of Man will be lifted up, we can say when the Son of Man will be glorified, when he will be lifted up onto a cross. 
Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 talks about the suffering servant, what the Messiah will look like, what his posture will be. And Isaiah 52, 13 says, my servant will be lifted up. We put all this imagery together, the glorification of Jesus, the crowning of Jesus will be hoisted on a cross with a crown of thorns. What a paradox. The paradox way. That's the only way. That's the Jesus way to fulfill God's way. The cross is God's path to victory over sin and freedom for humanity. That's the paradox way, the Jesus way, the only way that fulfilled God's purpose and God's way. And I want us to see that on Palm Sunday because the world around us, the world around you and me, um, they're not always interested in that way. They're not always interested in, in, in accomplishing things in that way. They aren't always interested in seeing success in that way. And we are often tempted by so many voices and deceived by so many voices to not live that way. And here's what this might mean for you and me. Because just like, just like you, I'm sure there's part of me, even in this season, saying, can we not just do something big and spectacular just to fix all this? Can we not do something to, you know, help the world? And there, and, and there is practical things that are being done, but there's a temptation in us when something goes wrong, when we want to see a conclusion, when we want to see a victory, to just do it in our own way. God showed us that he achieved victory for humanity through the way of Jesus, the posture of the cross. And here's what this might mean for us. If we're thinking about what does this look like? What, how can we move forward in a paradoxical way that is a paradox to the world, that flips the way the world thinks upside down? Well, a couple of things as we slowly wrap this up. First of all, this. Jesus challenges our fascination with power and ambition. Jesus challenges our fascination with power and ambition. You know, every election cycle, every time there's opportunity for change, we're always looking for a hero. We're always looking for the ambition, ambitious one. We're always looking for the one who's going to come and save us. Jesus challenges our fascination with power and ambition, even our own amb uh, fascination to be the powerful and ambitious ones. He challenges that in us. He, 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 I think if we get this, we can understand something. I don't want us to confuse power with position. Don't confuse power with position. Don't think that the positions of this world are the most powerful. Not in God's eyes. Jesus didn't need to be sitting on a horse to fulfill God's will. Jesus didn't need to address the Roman Senate to fulfill God's purpose. Jesus didn't need to look powerful to stand confident in God's power. He was a humble king. His coronation was different. Sure, the world wanted him to be a hero in their eyes, but he showed us as he walked in on a donkey's colt that he was a humble king. So Jesus challenges our view of power and ambition. Secondly, Jesus challenges our view of confidence. Oh, man, when we look at the world today, don't 
don't confuse arrogance with confidence. We see people come up to the podium or come up to the microphone or, or, or talk brashly on Facebook or something, and we sometimes see their arrogance and their strength in their words as confidence. Don't confuse arrogance with confidence. Jesus challenges that. Jesus didn't need arrogance to be confident. Jesus didn't need that. His confidence came from a different source, and that's the source we must gain our confidence from. Jesus' identity, his relationship was in God's love, in God's will, in God's purpose, in God's authority, not the world's. So Jesus had a humble confidence. Here's the the third idea. Jesus challenges our view of freedom and contentment. Just think about this. I mean, we often think, and the world makes us think this way, right? That if we have everything or we look like we have everything, then we will be content. Then we will be free. I was just listening to a neighbor uh, walking by our lawn and telling us what they're doing these days to ration their food. You know, they're, they're boiling something, a chicken, and then taking those bones and then putting it somewhere else to make a broth later on, and they're taking the ends of something else to save it for another meal, and they're trying to not go to the grocery store more than once a week or once every two weeks, and all of a sudden they're realizing, I, I can be content without all this stuff. People haven't been able to take drives or trips or do things, and they're realizing, oh, maybe there's contentment that's not found in all these things. We often think we need everything to be content or everything to be free. And get this, Jesus is content to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. There's no shame. There's no pretense. There's no anxiety. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? There's no preoccupation. He's not worried about public opinion. He's not worried about the, you know, the social media feed. He didn't even own the donkey. He didn't manufacture the procession. He didn't set it up. It happened. And he welcomed that moment as the step towards his fulfillment towards the cross. But he didn't manufacture it. He didn't gravitate towards it. And here's the idea. There is freedom in who he is. There is freedom in how he lives. There is freedom in the mission he is on. And he's like, take it or leave it. I don't need to ride on a horse to show you that. I don't need a position to do that. I don't need a crown to do that. I don't need to go to the Roman Senate for that. I'm content in who I am. And so Jesus challenges our view of contentment and freedom. Jesus has a humble contentment. And just think about that today. Just pause for a second. Don't you think the world needs this paradox way more than ever? Don't you think that as we look around people's anxious pursuits, the rat race that we've been forced lately to slow down in, not by our own choice, but the rat race we're often on, the ambition, selfish ambition that often creeps up. The world needs this paradox more than ever because the way of the world does not lead to the proper view of power, to a proper view of confidence, to a proper view of contentment. No, it doesn't. God will use you and use me in powerful ways when we don't pursue power, in powerful ways when we sidestep the power grabs of the world. I remember um, as I was thinking about this morning's talk, I started to have some images of some conversations I was having at my dad's funeral. 
years ago. And I'd meet an individual who came to greet us in the line, talking about how my dad had um, shared the gospel with him in a town in Italy. He rode his bike, threw his accordion on the back, and went to another town and started to be present with the people in that town and, and, uh, and start to let them know who Jesus was. This beautiful uh, discovery that he found for himself, he started to share it with people. And somebody from the crowd just says, your dad just kind of humbly came to our town and shared this with us. That changed my life. Remember a person who came up in the crowd and said, you know, there was a time when I lost my job and I was stuck and your dad just, um, you know, came around me and he, he wasn't worried about his position or his position in the company and he just, he just helped me through that situation. That catapulted me into a, a different kind of life that helped me so much. I think about one individual who's from Montreal who my dad uh, didn't do business with in, in a sense, but the church used their services when my dad was eventually pastoring out of the business world. And this person was a su- su- successful in his business and the business and company and grew and grew and it was amazing. But this person was public, public, um, publishing just a magazine that, that the church was doing. And through ordinary visits to the office, through ordinary moments there, um, this man came to faith. And Jesus revolutionized his life. And I remember the posture in those times. It wasn't like, I'm going to this company to represent Jesus and preach the gospel. No, it's, um, I'm going to go and be who I am, content in who I am, and whatever God wants to do with that, God will do with that. And I saw how God worked in and through those moments when there's a humble confidence that God would use us for his purposes. And let me just ask you today as we come to a close, what might God do in and through you and me today? If we would follow the way of Jesus, no strings attached, no fluff, no splash, no spectacle, no labels attached, content with a donkey for a ride, what might God do through you and me? What might God do through you and me? Who might he impact? Who might he change? How might he free you and me from the traps of society if we pursue this paradox way in Christ? So as we close, remember this. The way of Christ, it does save us from sin. And it keeps, uh, sin that keeps us away from God's purposes for our lives. The way of Christ does save us. But the way of Christ also saves us from slavery to the anxious ways of our world. Because the way of Christ is not just a ticket to eternity. The way of Christ saves us from an anxious, enslaved life here and now, today. And my encouragement to you, if you've forgotten this, remember it. If you've veered from this, get back to it. If you've only used Jesus as a ticket for eternity, and he is promised us a great future as we talked about last week, but get in line with this beautiful truth for you, He has a way for you to live and to trust him. And if you're listening today and you're just tuning in with us today or you're just saying, I so long for this kind of contentment and freedom and understanding and way of life, it cannot come any other way but through Jesus. So I invite you to turn to Christ today. He wants to save you 
from the brokenness and sin that binds you up. He went to the cross days later from this moment we're talking about today to, to take on your sin and brokenness to bring freedom to you. But he also comes to save you from being enslaved to anxiety in our culture today. Would you turn to Jesus? We're going to pray right now as we do that. God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the way of Christ. Thank you for the paradox way of Christ. Thank you that he's shown us an alternate way. We know and trust and are rooted in what he did on the cross for us. It saves us. It frees us. Lord, may we also root ourselves in the way he went to the cross, the way he lived, the way he wants to form our lives, oh God. Remind us of this today if we've forgotten it. And for those listening in that are longing for an ultimate change in direction in their lives because they long to know you, God, I pray right now in this moment you would help them to put their trust in you and put their faith in you. And if that's you right now praying, oh, I invite you with your own words, with your own heart, to tell God that you want to follow his son Jesus and you want to trust him you want to experience the life he has for you. You can do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.